You have room to promote 15 videos from your whole catalog, and you want to make the absolute most of it. This is our second talk with Vion Labs, where we break down a few business cases for data harvesting to drive content discovery. We will look at best practices from Spotify and Netflix, which data we should harvest and what KPIs we should track. Also, Arush and Patrick share their personal experiences working with Viaplay, Comhem, and ultimately how they're trying to ready an industry for big changes. Let's jump right in. I have grown tired quickly of the phrase artificial intelligence. Yes. Um, and uh, I don't think it's machines taking over. Correct. Uh, it's very much about man meeting machines. And to your point, Patrick, about making that editor's life easier and better so they can do a better job. Um, I think when I think of Spotify, um, which I've been using literally since beta, mm-hmm. for me, it was a major revolution to have um, Discover Weekly be launched. Back to my I'm sick of choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, every Monday, it's, it's one of the few programs that I actually tune into. Like I'm now wired that on Monday morning, I'm like, ah, I have a new Discover Weekly. And I'm convinced that, yes, a lot of it is algorithmic, very nuanced, I think, actually, mm-hmm. algorithmic. But then I'm convinced there's a hipster Swede in Stockholm who's made Kelly Moulton his personal <laughs> project and is also, on top of that, personally picking for me. Uh, and I'm thinking here with your technology, there must be, a dis- if you'll forgive the way of saying it, Discover Weekly-ish application for video. A- absolutely. And I think you are you're very correct in that. And I think I love the fact you bring up Spotify as an example. We talk a lot about, when we talk about linearity, we talk about linear TV and the, the presumed death of the linear TV. I mean, the, the linear TV and playlists have a lot in common. Uh, that's actually one of the projects where we got a lot of attention when we looked at, together with Vimon, where we brought that approach back into vaults. Linear is dead, long live linear. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, in the end, if you look at Spotify, I would bet, not having data, but some 80, 95%, uh, 80 to 90% is probably listening on radio-like features, playlist features. And again, that's just linearity, but in an on-demand world. Well said. I can promise you that there's not sitting a hipster in Sweden making a playlist. That would be very <laughs> expensive my- <laughs> for Spotify. But I can tell you that what Spotify did is that they bought a company called EchoNest. And EchoNest is basically reverse engineering music to break it down into what type of instruments is used, how much is used, what type of tune it has, if it's Latino or if it's South American or whatever type of music you're listening to, and then uses that data. So Econest is basically doing what we do for Spotify, but strictly for music. Right. So they understood early on that you need to start breaking down this to actual type of data points that are usable in something like Discovery. Pandora started out with having people listening to music and then rating them manually. Right. I so remember. Th- that kind of inspired the whole thing. But now, as you mentioned, like we're using machines to help scale the creative process. We're not letting the machines scale the creative process. I think we've had I think we've had an extreme amount of meetings where we kind of go from the meetings and people go like, "Wow, wow, that was cool." That's a lot of time. It comes down to people being able to see real world applications of it. It took a long time for people to understand that this was actually something that meant something. I think the the first time where I felt we really got across was when we started using Defender as an, ex- as an example to showcase co- how color was being used. Because then you have people going out and they go like, yes, I now understand how Director works. And that kind of leads them on to understand why this is a better approach. Defender's the Netflix show, you mean? 
Yeah, Defenders and Netflix show, uh, where they have, have an almost overstated use of colors. And we can go into depth on that one, but and I think also the example of Dunkirk, if we look at music, which has a, a brilliant way of showcasing how to build stress through music. So by, by teaching people a little bit about more about director's work, we've been able to get across. But I think that has been one part. The other part has been that most of them simply haven't been ready. I think our industry has been lacking of building services directly data-driven from day one. I mean, if you look at Netflix or, or Facebook or Google, they build their services data-driven from day one. And our TV and movie industry have been working the same way for the past 20 years. And I think it's a big cultural change that was needed. And thanks to companies like Netflix and Facebook and Google, people have woken up and realized we need to be part of this. So our timing is kind of perfect now. And that's where I feel one, two years ago when I was pitching colors to people, they thought I was crazy. Like, why should I measure colors for my TV viewers? Now they fully understand it because they understand it's an essential part of the data that actually affects us when we watch content. So I think... The culture change is getting there, and a lot of our job has been the past couple of years to educate people. I've, I feel like the past year, I haven't been selling nothing to people. I've been out there educating Evangelizing. them. Evangelizing. Yeah, basically getting them to understand why this is important. Hmm. I think a lot of the time, it, what we can see, for instance, is when we are talking to, to SVODs and pay TV, and specifically pay TV, they have even, even the lack of, of KPIs. I mean, one of the key KPIs that we're talking about it's time to play. The time spent from starting an application until you're in continuous watching mode. That's a, that's a, it's a very basic KPI. It's something that everyone should be tracking. But it's very, very few people are tracking it. Because pay TV operators come from a space where it's instantaneous. It's not has never been a need to track it when you're in a setup box. Because yep. you switch it on and you watch mm. whilst you're, while you're in an app. I mean, we have... A lot of a lot of the apps today, you spend almost as much time searching for content yeah, as you spend watching, watching content. So and is to that bring true? that, bring yeah, that it's true, true. true. Uh, I mean, they're they're really, I mean, I think at Netflix has about thirty to seventy percent ratio, which is best in class almost. And uh, but there are applications where you spend some seventy percent of the time you're actually spending in the app looking for the content you want to find, and that's a that's not a, a situation that can be sustained if you want to compete with companies like Netflix. So you have to bring that time down. You have to sort it quicker and you have to create the user experience that's flexible enough and that's personal enough. Mm. So you're live with Viaplay. How long have you been in the market with Viaplay? Uh, over six months, I would say. Over six months. And is there any initial research or findings that you can share with us about how you've helped their service? I mean, one of the most, I, I can give you one interesting data point, and that is that the, as soon as we installed our service and started up and running, we could see that a lot of consumers were using uh, their playlist much more. They were adding more content to their watch list. And on the Sundays, when you have this huge dip coming down, I mean, a lot of services have this, especially within TV and VOD, where people go back to work. That dip wasn't as steep as it used to be because people had already discovered what they wanted to watch as they were active during the weekends in the service. So that was a huge upside for, for our partners to yeah. have yours being activated. So give me an idea of how you want to apply your technology today, but you're frustrated because your partners or whatever just aren't adopting it quickly enough. Like if you could just be king for a day and I could launch uh, whatever service that I'm using, talk to me about you know, kind of the, the dream impact of your tech. 
To be honest, I think any good service in the next upcoming years that don't have enough degree of personalization is not going to be relevant. And I think if you do this correctly, uh, if you look at, say, any start page, any service, pay, uh, pay TV or SVOD, AVOD, they need to be personalized. And this type of algorithm, this type of structure, has, it's the foundation for about 80 to 85, maybe even 100% of all the carousels, all the content you're seeing there. What carousels you mean the UI the, and UX? The, the US. What, what's being shown to you? I mean, look right. at uh, one of my former workplaces, Comhem uh, in, 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 in Sweden. We had almost 200 TV channels. We had 50 to 60,000 hours of catch-up material. We had tens of 10,000 movies for rentals. If you want to bring that down into 15 posters on an iPad, you need you need to do some heavy lifting on the personalization space. Yep. And and for me, that's really that's the key. Where how how do I make sure I get value for the millions, even billions of dollars I've invested in content, is to present the right material to the right person. That's how I make sure people get the value that they're paying for. That's in, in the end, that's where that's the where the product meets the consumer right and that's where we can help out and that's where these types of structures help you sort it it seems like the uh linear to vod and back sort of cycle is something that you two are very interested in and it's a topic that uh i'm fascinated by and and it seems like you're seeing that a real application of your technology could be that that I, i literally could turn turn on a service and just a rotation could start like I, I you almost take all choice out of my hands and it's just like, okay, it's seven o'clock and this is what this is what we recommend you watch. Reed Hastings said that back in two thousand sixteen that Netflix's biggest vision was to just have a big play button as as you enter the service. I think that they're far away from there and still need to work a lot to get there. But I mean, isn't that what we all want? We want to just sit down and know that the device knows that I want to watch Game of Thrones every Tuesday at seven o'clock or having this dynamic kind of experience. But following up on your first first question was that a lot of our, our clients today are not ready or potential clients are not ready to receive the data as dynamically because they don't prioritize recommendations and discovery as a high priority part of a service. That is always added by the end. It is. You always prioritize network, uh, I mean, amount of devices you're going to be available on and so on. But you never invest on understanding your first 100 customers to grow to 1,000. You start investing in understanding your customers and content when you have already put in a huge amount of money in marketing and created a bunch of service. And then you have a bucket where a lot of people are kind of leaking out from and running away. And yet, I think this is a brilliant point. Surely, the, the arms race that is on right now is going to be won when it comes to just what you just said is uh, the best recommendation engines, if we just keep using that, that phrase for mm. now, uh, powered by fingerprinting technology like, like Vian Labs brings to, to bear. And I, and I think it makes sense because uh, that's exactly, that's why this approach comes from actually understanding movies first and then adding technology rather than looking at it from a technology perspective and then adding movies to that technology. Here, here. And that's that's really the big shift in this taking content seriously and making sure that that passion comes across excellent that's that's the big thing i would be remiss in not concluding with uh actual recommendations from the vion labs team okay (laughs) what are we watching these days westworld season two definitely (laughs) i just finished goliath 
That was good. Season was, two was yeah. really, I really like Billy Bob Thornton mm-hmm. uh, and this laid back mm-hmm. role that he's doing. Billions. Billions, Billions is, is nice. good, isn't it's it? Good. It's hypnotic. It's, yeah, it's that nice. guy. Yeah, Billions is great. Um, at the moment, I'm just I'm, counting up HBO shows. But, but wait, no, no. Yeah. Um, uh, Goliath is uh, Amazon. Oh, okay. Amazon original. Yeah. I've I've actually just rewatched the second season of Stranger Things because that's I again I think it's, it. uh, Stranger Things is are it's a it's a good shift because it, again it represents uh, how Netflix is com- is data driven on a whole other level. We can go into that <laughs> no, on some other case. For- since Nef- uh, Stranger Things was a typical example that was that was pitched to a lot of studios that was also not picked up. You got fourteen no's. But based on the fact that Netflix understood their audience in terms of 80s nostalgia. They were able to pick it up and make it a huge hit. And Great point. Yeah, and looking at that, I think that's, that's data that's available to everyone. Everyone in the industry knows what people are watching, but they're just not willing or capable of making the choices based on it. Stranger Things has been on our watch list forever. And for some reason, my wife and I, we just haven't, I don't know, the 80s nostalgia, oh, that's perfect for me at 47 years age. That, I mean, I should be the target. I'm just like, uh, Spielberg-esque, really? But I know one day we just have to watch it because people just go, are you nuts? You haven't seen it. I think my absolute favorite show, though, Discovery, over the past year has been Black Mirror. Oh, God. Don't get me started on that one. No, it's, that's a whole I'm other. addicted to that. I'm waiting for the next season like an addict right now. It's just itching. For yeah. me, it's like literature for television. And, but But... I resisted seeing it for a long time because of the idea that, and maybe now I'm a victim of binge TV, that like every episode was different. I was like, oh, do I have to start again with a new character? But as soon as I got over that mental, I was in. That could, this could be me being an industry nerd in that perspective. But for me, Black Mirror's greatest accomplishment is just that. What they've done is actually take one of the underused assets of the world, which is short films, and they've managed to brand it in a genre and make it into series. Thus creating a, a huge way of actually pushing short movies with great actors in them. And also they stole the concept from Twilight Zone. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And they did. <laughs> they did, true. Anthologies are very common out there when you look at them. I can recommend you strongly Philips K. Dick's Electric Dreams. That's a great show. Electric Dreams? I haven't yeah. heard of it. It's a, he's a I know sci-fi, the, he's, he's a, know, he's yeah, a writer. He's, yeah. he's a sci-fi writer and he made an a Amazon original. That is very similar to, to Black Mirror. It's much more in the future, not so close future as Black Mirror, more dystopian futures, but it's really interesting show. Arash and Patrick, like human embodiments of their technology. <laughs> yeah? Gentlemen, thank you so much. It's thank been you. a pleasure. Hope to have you back. It was awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.